This is Cost Talk with Evan Kosman, and you are listening to episode 13. This week on the podcast, we have... John Corbin. And you are... I'm the executive producer at Corbin Visual. We are a video production, creative video production company based in Liberty Village. And what does a video production company entail? That's a very loaded question. Um, (laughs) You know, I think beyond actually creating content, which which is what we do, I think the way I describe it to people is that you know, we, we see what's possible. You know, a lot of people come to us with a vision of what they're looking for. Sometimes it's refined, sometimes it's very raw. Um, and it's up to us to understand, you know, what assets we have available to us and, and how we can shape them into the most exciting and engaging product possible. Mm. Do you prefer people come to you with an idea or do you prefer a blank canvas so that you can sort of morph something yourself? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question. I think, I think it's a matter of what lens I'm answering that question through I think a lot of times when people come to me not even with an idea but but with a brief it means that they've put time into their vision of of, of what they expect um, or what they want to see rather and while that might stifle creativity for some it's actually a better jump off point for me because when people come to me without any vision or any clue of what they're hoping to produce or what, what they hope it looks like, those project projects, they usually never happen because they're, they're wanting me to, they're wanting to mine my brain for creative ideas, you know, as opposed to um, helping to build on, you know, their vision. So I want to take this back to the start of the company and how you found that video production was right for you. So can you talk about when you started dabbling into video production? Um, you know, I think there's two entry points. I think the first was, um, and as you know, um, from having you know, lived with me for a summer, um, hope that doesn't sound weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, it happened at two separate occasions. One, it was, at, it was at camp, at summer camp. I mean, I think that's when everybody is kind of given permission to discover what they enjoy, given permission to fail. Um, I, the best thing about summer camp for me and discovering that I like video, making videos is that I had a built-in audience. And I think that's what we all want, is, is a built-in audience. And so the fact that I could make something and people had to watch it. <laughs> I mean, I think I was good. I, I think I made good videos. But, you know, the fact that I, I, I knew my subject matter really well, which was the summer camp environment, and people would come and watch it no matter what. I mean, I think that was a really good way to have my creativity and my visions Validated, so that was that was really nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other the other kind of entry point was when I was I DJ bar mitzvahs for many years when I was younger, and and after having explored video for a year or two at summer camp, I was at a party and I saw this slideshow, you know, like a bar mitzvah slideshow of this coming of age photo montage, and, and I looked at the guy I was working with at the time. I said, "People pay for this?" And he's like, "Yeah, they pay a lot of money." And, mm. and I just. I immediately saw creative opportunities to create videos in this industry, which I've been working in for 10 years. So I think both camp and private events, I had a really good knowledge of the subject matter. And so it really, it, it allowed me to explore what was possible really quickly because I just, I knew both industries so well. With that second uh, entry point, uh, did you think you could do it better or did you just see, hey, people are paying money for this, let me try and do it? No, I was pretty cocky, <laughs> and I, I definitely thought I could, I could do it better. And, and in fact, I, I believe I did. Mm. Um, 
you know, I think I started creating videos when it hadn't quite tipped yet. And so people didn't, they weren't getting super creative with videos. Even the photo slideshows, they were really stale and just kind of one photo crossfading after another. And so I, it wasn't even that I thought I could do it better. I, I saw it as an opportunity for creative expression because mm. better, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So all I wanted was a canvas to, you know, reinterpret what seemed to be a fairly stale experience. So when did you realize that video could be that canvas for you? You, you said there were the two entry points, but how did you decide that, hey, I actually think I could do this? Um, I mean, that's a good question. It's like you just do it and, hmm. you, and you just do it and then you do it again and hmm. you know you get a reaction and you're like oh that was nice that's hmm. cool I like how I felt when that person said they liked what I did hmm. and so in a way like it was fueled both by my own passion for being creative but also by people's acknowledgement that my creative and unique ideas were pleasing to them I'm trying not to make it sound too robotic but hmm. just boil it down to you know remembering kind of just what those early touch points were and and then I just kept on doing it and I kept on doing it and then the video software evolved and I was getting more creative and mm. then different platforms like YouTube and Facebook were emerging so I could make content and share mm. with everybody I knew I didn't quite know that video was my thing like from a professional standpoint but mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it so much that I was like I did it in my spare time I do it for free I do it for fun because it was just a, a way to make people say wow and that was cool and I don't know. I guess I guess I just like I liked how it made people feel. I made videos. When would you say you found your niche and like what you wanted to do within video? Oh, I, I don't even I don't even think I found it. Still, I mean, oh. I, every couple of years I kind of get tired of what I'm doing, and you know I, I worked let's say in, in camps for many years, and I, I worked at private events for many years, and I just I got tired of where the opportunities were, and I got tired of especially in private events, it's like it's the same video over and over and mm. over again. There's only so many ways you can make a wedding video, right? They're all the exact same. And, and mm. that was kind of upsetting to me. I just, I didn't feel like I was reaching my potential. And so every kind of couple of years, I would chop off a leg of business. Now, it, some might say, no, you should build on that and expand further. But I just, my heart wasn't in it anymore. So I just had to move on. And every couple of years, I would just... You know, not going to compare myself to Madonna. I'm kind of like Madonna. Right? <laughs> you change with the times, and you react to mm-hmm. what what the world is around you. And um, and and now, like that's actually in a weird way what I am now. I'm I'm known for doing what's new and what's different, working with emerging technologies. Like like I have defined myself not by my portfolio, but by my spirit of you know, uh, my spirit of, what's the word I'm looking for? Just pushing the envelope, mm. you know, and being ahead of the curve. I, I think that's that's how I think people know me today. Mm. Uh, so let's get into a couple of those uh, technologies you're saying you've been uh, putting your foot into the pool. Mm-hmm. So um, one of them, drones, you are a very vocal member of the community. Uh-huh. Um, so first off, what are the nuances of learning how to get into drones? to get into drones well first gotta buy one yeah for sure um i mean the rules these days are really different the technology is very different than what it was when i first got one and actually i'll i'll, I'll tell you a, a funny story um 
the reason I got into drones, and, it, and it's actually, nobody really knows the story. I've told a couple people, but, but there was one day I was working in, you know, making some videos. I was pitching on some p pretty dry videos. They were like some corporate videos and some medical videos, and my heart wasn't really in them, but there was a lot of money in it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do my best. And mm. I, had, I had a few proposals out that represented like a lot of money. Like we're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars mm. where I say to myself, you know, if I can just close one, two of these, like I'm on easy street, all is good. So I remember it was a Thursday and I, and I went into work and um, I, I heard back from all three on the same day, which is, you know, rarely happens. And you probably guessed it just by listening to the story so far is that I lost all of them. Oh. So, and I was really distraught because I was, I worked really hard on the proposals. It was a really big opportunity and I lost them all. So the next morning, I kind of woke up and I was super bummed out. And I thought to myself, like, why am I going to work to pitch on jobs I don't want, to do work that I'm not inspired by, and to not not be happy, but to just not feel fulfilled. So I had bought this drone on Amazon and I saw it in my living room. I'm like, heck, you know what? I'm not going to work today. I'm going to go to the Scarborough Bluffs and I'm gonna fly my drone and I'm gonna do something that I think is cool. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna fulfill someone else's creative mandate. I'm gonna do what I think is cool. And so I, I went to the top of the bluffs for sunrise and I flew my drone off the bluffs. Um, this was before drones were even a thing. Um, and for many who know the story, the rest is kind of history, but for the next three or four weeks, like I was six o'clock news. You know, People had never seen drones before. They saw my Scarborough Bluffs drone video mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, like the whole literally country like like coast to coast news was focusing on this drone video out of Toronto and mm -hmm. it was like in that moment that I was like wow like people are it's this is my idea and I did it and people think what I'm doing is cool and that was like a real pivot point for me to say you know what I'm I'm not going to only submit work or work on things that like other people need I'm going to do stuff that I think is cool because clearly everyone thinks it's cool and that's kind of when I started doing a lot more drone videos and just kind of figuring it out as I went but also I kind of planted a seed in me that was like you know what I'm going to stay true to my own creative ambitions because clearly um, my instincts are strong I know that was a roundabout way of answering your question mm -hmm. but one doesn't just get into drones you know one one aspires to be creative and one aspires to use tools in new and different ways. And so, man, the first time I flew a drone or the next time I flew a drone, I, I flew it right into a tree. And I flew <laughs> so I had a lot of trial and error, but, but I think you just like, you just have to get out and do it. There is no path, roadmap, blueprint to follow. You just, you explore and you, you enjoy. Mm. Um, it's funny you bring up that video because at the end of the video, there's that random jogger there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that conversation go? Because he was so like, he looked so distraught and have no idea what was going on. What, how was that conversation like? You know what? I remember, I, I remember joking with him. He came back and I was just like, I was just trying to get the damn thing back. Yeah. Because it was like hanging over uh, Lake Ontario. So I brought it back and he's asking me what it is. I'm just, it's my new drone and you know, it flies and there's a <laughs> camera on it and it's super cool. And, um, and I remember landing it. He was like totally randomly in the shot. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at him and, and I made a joke and I was like, you know, when you see this on YouTube and there's a million views, <laughs> remember me. 
And then we both laughed and walked away. And like, then, you know, I put it online a day. It was like, he sees himself on CBC the next day. It must've been awesome. Yeah. 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 We haven't spoken since. Oh no. So if you're listening to this, Mr. Random Jogger, please message me. You'll do a follow up. Yeah. (laughs) So another video you do with your drones, you flew over the Revenant. Um, How did that come about? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in Alberta. Um, I was in Alberta actually on vacation with some friends in Canmore and this is when I was just like droning everything everything must be droned <laughs> um, and then I don't know I looked at the local news to see what was going on in the area like for good drone like aerial filming locations and I just happened to come across that DiCaprio's movie was filming like no more than a few kilometers away so I made my friends get in the car with me and drive up and sure enough we went to the set um, I'm not sure if Leo was there that day called Leo like he's my friend of course yeah <laughs> you guys hung out for five seconds yeah. through the drone yeah you seen my video <laughs> no and like the production manager was there and I, I I asked permission even though you know these days it's better to ask for forgiveness and he's like just don't fly it over the set and I was like alright cool so I just kind of had to hug the outer edges and I I didn't know anything about the Revenant so to me like the set it didn't mean anything to me, like seeing all these teepees and stuff like that, but because I'm in film and production, mm-hmm. I saw all these cool film trucks, and I was like, well, this is probably going to be something cool. Mm. And then when the movie came out and I started recognizing this location, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I filmed this, and so I waited for the movie to be released. I edited the video together of The Revenant, and then I released the Revenant drone video mm. right when, not, not when... Not when the movie came out, but when it won the Oscar. Oh, you saved it for that. Yeah, PR, it's all yeah. PR. So I just saved it and I found the right time and it did well enough. I think it racked up a few thousand views. But yeah, it was just, it was cool. Like I think, I like flying the drone because you can just see everything from a very cool perspective. Like one that's not readily available to other people. So um, it was just like any other flight, but I just happened to be filming a hundred million dollar movie set, you know, so that was kind of cool. No, that's awesome. I think everyone would love to just casually stumble upon something as awesome as an Oscar-winning film and have the chance to do that. So that's great. As I've mentioned before, you've been a very vocal member of the droning community. Fortunately, the Ontario government put some pretty hefty regulations on the on drones today or a couple months ago. How has that affected your ability to drone? Yeah, I mean, they keep on changing them. And, and they keep on asking, every time a rule changes, they kind of find me and interview me and ask me what I think. And I'm like, ah, what, what, what am I going to say? You know, like, what is there to say? Does it affect me? Sure. I, I do most of my droning on vacation. Mm. Like, there's not much for me to film in the city anymore. Um, I do a lot of filming up in Muskoka. And it's, it doesn't affect me as much because it's not really a built-up area. And it's much easier to get permissions. But my biggest frustration with it is... You know, the government has no problem taxing 100% of the purchase, but they won't allow you to use 100% of the features, Mm. you know? So I think it's frustrating that they're making all this money and there's this huge industry, but people aren't even allowed to use it Mm. in the ways that uh, the drones are being advertised. So, I mean, to me, it it hasn't changed much. I actually actually got my license. When I got it a couple months ago, I'm the only Canadian that's allowed to fly professionally in the States. I got my part 107. Mm. So... When I go to the States, I can fly legally. But in Toronto, it's just too much of a pain in the ass. You know, I don't need, I don't need headaches and problems. So I just took my talents to South Beach. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? 
Uh, does that piss you off a little bit that like a part of you that you wanted to just do it at casually, it's now limited in a way? I mean, yes and no. I mean, I hit it and I hit it hard when it mattered the most. And to mm-hmm. me, to me, getting a reputation as someone who flies drones creatively, I mean, it's kind of like the way I described, like just evolving as a business. It's like, I'm not even about beating a dead horse. And that sounds like it's what's next. Mm-hmm. Great. You take away all my permissions to fly. No problem. I'll go find something else to do and be just as cool and creative. So I think, yeah, it pisses me off, but it, you can't dwell. I mean, it only motivates me further to find new and different ways to just, you know, make people say, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess, yes, it pisses me off, but it's not going to stop me mm-hmm. know, from, from creating and from being different. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So not to beat a dead horse, uh, we can change the subject. Um, so you're dabbling a little bit in VR now. How did you decide that was a platform you wanted to get into? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, and mm-hmm. so I need to... I think the one of the most critical... Um, uh, one of the most critical things skills you can have as an entrepreneur is to see and evaluate an opportunity when you see something and you think that's going to be a thing you have to act on it and you have to act on it quickly um, because it's only a matter of time before everyone's got a drum you know so I I, I got into VR just because I saw it as a means of making money in a space that no one else was making money in mm-hmm. Honestly, I saw a VR video. I saw a 360 video for the first time. I was like, this is pretty cool. I didn't know anything about it. I made a landing page on my website that advertised myself as the VR 360 expert. I pulled together all the information that I could possibly know and that was available in the public sphere. I littered my website with keywords and metadata and tags so I could be found. And for about a year, I was the, you searched VR company Toronto, I was the only one um, who was offering the services in the city maybe even the province Mm -hmm. Um, and on on one hand it's I haven't I'm a bit shy about it because it's like it's it's a bit sneaky but on the other hand it's like no no that's just what I do I I find opportunity and I create it for myself and then I crush it and then you know I pitched on a few VR jobs before I closed one and I kept on kind of getting better faster smarter stronger with every lost job mm-hmm. and then eventually I closed my first job but I knew it was really important to rank mm-hmm. really well with SEO so I just I, I needed to be where my customers would be looking so I, I just made a presence for myself online and now now you know I have a dozen or more VR jobs under my belt and now I'm a VR expert whatever that means <laughs> so I don't know if that was the answer you were expecting, but I, you know, you got to start somewhere and everyone does something for the first time. So as a expert in, in the system, what do you think about the environment of VR? What do you think of the possibilities within it? It is, I mean, it's already the next big thing, but it's, it, it will be everything. I mean, now that I've been working in it for a few years and I can actually say that I'm an expert in it, it, it blows my mind every time I produce something new, like, the idea of being able to transport yourself to an environment that you're not in, like that's pretty crazy. Um, I think that VR will continue to get adopted in different verticals and different industries, but AR is probably going to cut off a little bit of steam because it's AR is already here. And AR being like augmented reality, which is just kind of like a mixed reality, like Pokemon Go or, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, Snapchat filters, like that's AR. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think VR will VR will kind of become very mainstream. Like if it's not in industries already, it's about to be. Like they're using it to cure like Alzheimer's and to have kids conquer their fears of flying. Like it's mm-hmm. amazing what it can do. And and so I mean, I, not only do I think it's here to stay, but I, I think it might evolve to a point where. VR is kind of old hat, you know, by the time, um, you know, Q1 or Q2 of 2018 come around. It's just, it's moving so quickly. Mm -hmm. No, uh, definitely I've seen a lot of gaming uh, companies trying to dabble in in a lot of these things, but I just think everyone's so far behind. So it's actually good that you got in on the ground floor because now you can, now as people are catching up, you're sort of ahead of everyone else. I'm already there. I, I did the same thing with drones, you know, before I'd even... Uh, well, no, not before I've flown a drone, but I, but like really quickly when I decide something's a thing, mm-hmm. I'm all in, mm-hmm. and it's a landing page on my website. It's I'll go out and create portfolio work just to represent my understanding of, of of the platform. But you need first to market is everything in my business. Like, you know, everyone's got a video guy, and now everyone's got a drone guy, but not a lot of people have a VR guy. So if mm. you can, if you can continue to stay one step ahead then that's where new relationships are formed and that's how you create opportunity for yourself Mm. how do you find those things for you to stay ahead of obviously that's it's kind of hard because you never know which one which thing is going to be the next thing but how do you sort of determine which one you should actually go heavy on versus something that uh, maybe it doesn't matter Mm. i mean i think it's just instincts right like same thing with like the drone thing. Like I, I did something that I thought was cool and then everyone thought it was cool. I'm not saying I invented drone. I was one of the first people in Toronto to make a drone video. If not the first person to make a drone video that kind of went viral. Mm. So that told me that my instincts were at least more or less accurate in terms of what I thought would be a cool technology. Mm-hmm. And I did the same with VR and I was the first there and that's a thing. And, and now I just have to feel it out. You know, like when I, I understand digital really well. I understand consumer behavior really well. And so I think it's when I come across a product or a technology that I can see practical uses for. Like I I can see in what type of circumstances it would be hugely successful. It's just that kind of like spidey sense that tingles, you know? And I mean, for every one that I stumble across that I say, this is going to be the next thing. There's a hundred that I'm just like, eh. You know, you see a lot of Kickstarter stuff and a lot of technology. Like, yeah, I can sort of see this. But I think I get even more excited about it when I understand inherently how the technology will work and and what the back ends look like. So um, I I hate to say, yeah, there's no no secret sauce. It's just like, I I think I just have a spidey sense for what's going to be cool. Mm. So we've talked about the new technologies, but I want to take it back to the heart of Corbin Visual, which is video production. What were the things that you think you had to master to take the next step from bar mitzvah videos and wedding videos to high production content? That's a really, really good question. And I think that that's something a lot of event video people struggle with because, you know, they've developed this niche for themselves and they've figured out this video that they can rinse and repeat and, you know, add a small variations now and again. But, uh, you know, I remember when I was doing videos, anytime I got a opportunity to do a corporate job it was like oh finally you know something different um and it's certainly taken a while to evolve my skill set to be able to develop like higher production value stuff but i i think 
and it might not be the answer you expect, but I, I think the way I did that is by giving myself no other choice. I, one day I woke up, I said, I'm not doing these videos anymore. I had people calling me, I, you know, a lot of money and a lot of job opportunities were being offered to me for more bar mitzvahs, more weddings, more, more everything, more 60th birthday party videos, whatever. And I just, one day I woke up and I just kind of flipped the switch and I was like, I'm not going to give myself a safety net anymore. If I'm going to do this, if I'm going to be successful, I'm not going to go back and it's not one toe in, it's not one foot in, one foot out. It's like, this is what I want for myself. So one day I just said, I'm not doing it anymore. And I just started referring all my business to my competition. Um, because if they're happy doing it, I'm, I'm happy to send them the business. So um, I remember actually one of, I wouldn't even call him competition, just a colleague for whom I have a lot of respect. He does amazing work. Um, uh, his name's Jesse. And uh, he, I mean, he has really taken the private event game to a, a whole new level, big ticket productions, um, quick shout out for him. I started sending him some work and he, he wrote me one day, he's like, he's like, you're not doing this anymore? Cause I got in the blue, I'm like sending him all this work that he thought I was doing. And I was like, I just said, no, like I, I, I had to not even graduate. I just had to shift my focus. And so, um, and, and to be honest, like he's in terms of events and stuff, he was, he took what I did in the event industry and he's taken it to a whole new cinematic levels. Like he's mm. just doing such amazing work. And, and I honestly thought that my clients could be better served <laughs> a guy who wants to be a visionary in kind of like the, the personal cinema world. So anyways, I, I, it's a really long winded way of answering your question, but I think I just came to peace with the fact that this wasn't for me anymore. I cut it off and then I just had to start at the bottom of a new ladder. Um, and I mean, the rest is history, right? You just, you just, when you have no other choice, you have no, there's nowhere to go, but up, you know? So I didn't give myself another choice and I didn't give myself a safety net and that motivated me and, and, mm. and required me to just get my Wolverine claws out and mm. start, you know, going after it. Hey everyone, let's take a quick break. First off, thanks for checking out the episode. It was really awesome to catch up with John and get into a recording. If you like the content, make sure you give us a rating if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or if you're on YouTube, hit that like button below. Feel free to leave a comment in the comment section or send me a tweet on Twitter of any guests you think I should have on in future episodes. The username is Costalk, just like the podcast. If you're new, don't hesitate to subscribe and welcome to the family. Feel free to share the podcast with as many people as you want. And next week, we've got a really big episode. I don't want to spill the beans on it, but I'm really excited for you to hear it. Now, let's get back to the interview with John. So how did you get that first client when you tried to transition to the, the higher level content? Well, uh, how did I get my first client? Especially if you're shooing everyone else away to someone else. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, you know, well, we noted I tore down my website and then I re-engineered my website so it would be far more search engine friendly. I did some research on what the most commonly searched video production words were, let's say instructional video, animated video, training video, and I rebuilt my website in a way with, with SEO and tags, etc., that aligned with what people were searching for in the corporate world. I had no idea how to do any of this. You mm -hmm. produce the actual work, but I was like, the first thing I need is to be found. So I re-engineered my website to be found for what people were looking for, and then the phone just started ringing. Mm. Um, and you know how it is like earlier on in the business I kind of felt like I was running a new business again it was like you kind of BS your way through it you kind of like you, you say things that you shouldn't or you, you 
go after things more aggressively that aren't as much of an opportunity as they may seem. And then you just start closing them. And, and to be honest, if you're starting out in a business, especially if you're young, you need to be the cheap guy. You just have to be. I, I've been trying to sell, I tried to sell rather early on in my career on just like, I'm gonna be the high end, you know, super creative, you can't get this anywhere else guy. And you quickly realize that that's a far more crowded market than the, I don't value my own time, so I'm gonna charge you like next to nothing just to get the gig. And then you build up your portfolio, and then you become an expert, and then you could speak to best practices. So you, you can't be too cocky about it coming up. Be the cheap guy, get the gig, and, and build your portfolio in the video production world, at least. I mean, you gotta get the job done, mm-hmm. you know? So just cause you get the job, just cause you, you're the cheap guy, you should over deliver. Like, like one thing that, one way that I found a lot of success in, in netting higher end clients is like, I close a job based on like a cheap and cheerful service. And if they're paying $2,000, I'll give them a $10,000 product because it's like, it's an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to showcase what's possible. And so even with clients now who, you know, my, my retainer is a little bit higher now, but I'll still give them more than they're paying for if I think that there's more opportunity in video for them. Like not for mm-hmm. me, not to make it a more revenue for me, but like if I think that there's better ways to use video, I'll just give it to them and I'll say, hey, listen, I did this for you. If you don't like it, throw it out. But I just want you to know, I think this would be really cool. And that has led to really big jobs and and even expanded scope on jobs that were otherwise smaller. So I I think, especially when you're starting out, you have to give more and you have to see what people value. And then you can build a service structure around what people are willing to pay for. Because at the beginning, you don't know what they're willing to pay for. You just, you're, 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 you're feeling it out. And so I think by over delivering, you start to understand where your energy is best spent which is inevitably, or not inevitably, but you, you find that out by seeing what your clients value and the feedback they give you. And once they say, this is really cool, I want more of this, then you can look at that and be like, yeah, you know what? Like, okay, I'm going to spend a bit more time on microsites or, you know, whatever it is in the web dev world that is, mm-hmm. once you find out what people want, that's the key to growing a business is create value for your clients, find out what they're willing to pay for and do it and do it really well. Mm. That's a fantastic way to close out the episode. So to finish every episode, I have my guests ask the next guest a question. Your question comes to us from Robbie Gold from my last interview. And his question to you is, if you had one discreet way to make sure a business you're running is going to fail, how would you do it? It has to be discreet. No one knows you're doing it. It may look like you're making smart decisions, but it was triggered to make the business fail. If I wanted to tank my company, without like he, it's easier to say like like you could just do nothing and it would fail and that's basically it. But what if what are some easy slip ups that people may do that would cause the business to fail that one person might do intentionally? I, intentionally? I know it's a weird question. I I didn't get it, but he explained it in a better way than I probably. It doesn't sound like a guy who's very happy with his uh, <laughs> career choice, but that's, that's Robbie, I guess. Um, okay, so. What are the things that I might do on purpose to intentionally allow my business to, to slip up? Um, it's like such a, such a different way of thinking, right? Um, like everyone wants to know the secrets to success, but what are the secrets to failure? The secret, the secret to failure is it's weird. I, 
the secret to failure, I'm, I'm going to try to answer it in a different way because that's there's so many things you can do to scrub. You can tell yeah. your client to f*** um, I don't advise that. But yeah, so what? It, how about this? The, the quickest way to fail in business is as an entrepreneur is to go into a field in which you're not passionate about because there will be so many opportunities to quit, you know, um, there will be so many opportunities to just, you know, give up or, you know, throw in the towel that it actually requires not just a passion to be successful, but a passion for an industry or else you actually won't get through those speed bumps. And so, you know, it's okay to, to test things out when you're younger, but if you're like, this is going to be my career, this is going to be my life, you have to be, you know, super excited and super passionate about it or else you'll end up like Robbie. He, he's doing very well. I'll, I'll defend him a little bit. He's very happy in his role. It just may not sound like it through the question. You know what? I wish I could, I wish I could retake this, Robbie. However, it's actually, you know, my, my sarcasm and my uh, aggressive and upbeat personality which makes me speak and think like this some ways it's my achilles heel apologize if i've offended you but it's what makes me who i am and i've been told by someone very smart to never apologize for who you are but robbie i apologize to you do you have a question for the next guest yes i do the question is what do you do i don't want to know what job you go to every day but what what is your purpose what were you put on this earth to do Mm. and yeah, that's what I want to know is what, not, not what career, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, yeah, why are you here? Why, what, what will make you happy? Is that good enough? That, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm excited to hear the answer. I, I'm speaking with uh, the person Namora, so I'll, I, I know what he does. I'm so excited to hear actually the answer to that. Um, so thank you, Corbin, for, ta- or John, sorry, to be professional, no for taking the time to do this silly little podcast of mine. I really appreciate that. I, to Evan to, to keep on doing it like it's not silly it's you are ambitious and you are doing what you think is cool and I can promise you that continuing to do what you think is cool is what's going to open opportunity and what's going to open doors for you so um, take more pride in in, in, in this because I think it's amazing and I've listened to tons of episodes and I think you, you do a phenomenal job so thank you that, that, mean, that means a lot to me thank My you pleasure